0: Well, let's get to Mind Matters for today. We're discussing articles today. And the first one that we found, it's all about marital woes. And uh, WeChat and other platforms have helped sort of revolutionize interpersonal relations in China. But they're also blamed for adding to growing strains on Chinese marriages by making it easier to flirt with potential new partners. Now doctor, the question is, what would be considered cheating? I guess can texting a flirtatious message be considered harmless?
1: Well, okay, well this is an article highlighting apps used in China that seem to make cheating in a relationship even easier. Mm-hmm. Smartphone and apps have made it easier to cheat on each other, which is really very really sad, but of course there are also apps that can reveal or track a cheating spouse. <laughs> There has to be boundaries, you know, interactions with others after marriage, Mm. be it face-to-face or online. A study called the iFidelity survey actually showed that majority of married men and women embrace the ethics of online restraint. So it's it's not the norm, but there is new evidence that this may not be true for especially the Gen X and millennial men Mm. who sometimes think, It's, you know, okay to be sexting. It's harmless. It's not cheating, is it? Yeah, or have secret online emotional relationships, especially with their exes. So I think the important thing is stronger relationships are built on good online fences. We need to build our boundaries and fences, not just face-to-face, but also online. Because without it, there's always going to be a temptation to discount the good things in your own partner and focus on others instead.
0: Yeah. But how can a marriage survive with all these advances, you know, that makes cheating easier. And like you said, there's it's a two-way street now. You can even track where your partner is going, which makes things a bit distrustful, isn't it, in a relationship?
1: Sure. I mean, I think it's important to set the ground rules from the beginning. It's, you know, always useful for couples to always agree to keep everything open. If it's not a joint account, you know, not a joint social account, make sure what you put up or post is something that is comfortable for your spouse to read as well. And then use social media to to build each other use the platform you're on to better communicate and connect with your spouse i mean it's wonderful if you on your social media feed say hello to your spouse from your work yeah and so get her involved in you know your communication with others as well and set devices aside spend quality time together i think that's that's a given that's that's a must every evening perhaps especially at mealtime um and of course say it to the right person you know we all have ups and downs in our relationships now you go and crib and complain and say to somebody else who you think well maybe i want to have a relationship with this person you're just you know digging your own grave so i think we've got to be smart in terms of how we use our apps and our social media as well
0: is it also the thrill though some people you know thrive on having like i can get away with this it's the thrill of it all potentially
1: getting caught yeah, I mean, all of this uh in the same pathway. They all work on that reward pathway. It's like gambling, you know, you go in and, and it's the thrill. But then when you lose, then there's no more thrill, you know. Mm-mm. But similarly, you know, that trigger can attract people. And if it's available, then it makes it even, you know, easier. Then.
0: So men, don't text other women flirtatiously if you're already in a relationship or married. That's totally not cool. That's considered cheating. This next article specifically tells us what to do to support our father's mental health. This is in conjunction with Father's Day. Is it that men are more susceptible to mental health issues as they age?
1: A lot of people don't realise this, but one of the most Common mental health problems in elderly, those above 65, it's not dementia, it's depression. Hmm. 25% of people above 65 have depression. Most studies suggest that women suffer more depression than men do. But that's most often because men refuse to seek help. Mm. In fact, we know suicide among elderly men is on the rise. It's much more than in women. And the most common cause for suicide is depression. I think there are many factors that are thought to influence this, including for men that change in role and function that comes with aging, actually is more, you know, sort of devastating than compared to in women. Women can just move back to being that homemaker. Mm. Women tend to keep themselves busy and men, you know, find retirement really hard to cope with. Also, Men find it hard to cope without their spouse. A study has shown that 50% of men don't survive a year after losing a spouse. And women can survive for years well, after losing a spouse. don't care about it. <laughs> no, it's not that. They're liberated. They're free. <laughs> exactly. They're free from the
0: exactly- <laughs> I think uh, there's been a lot of cases where men remarry after their spouses pass on. And but, not so much cases where women uh, remarry. Maybe because we, yeah. men cannot handle it being by themselves.
1: Yeah, that's right. They, they find it really hard to be on their own. Mm. And often older men have less developed social networks compared to women. And so, you know, this leads to less support and then they tend to be more isolated. And of course, uh, this is common to both genders. Losses are more common at this age, but it may actually affect men a little bit more. You know, the loss of a friend, the loss of a rel- relative. So all of this actually contributes to why mental health may be much, more in men as they age.
0: Now, in general, Doctor, how do we encourage the older generation to- to be sort of more receptive towards seeking help for their mental health issues.
1: You know, this is especially difficult among older men um, because there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of um, maturism, you know, that's involved here. They, they're they not going to come up and say, look, I have a mental problem. I need help because that pride prevents them. The stigma and the taboo of seeking help, it's not easy. Mm. But I think it's first creating more awareness and understanding that mental health problems are just the same as medical problems mm. and that You know, it's very common as we age as well. Services need to be accessible. They need to be elder-friendly. You know, you have wheelchair ramps, you have counter just for elderly. And, you know, you even have maybe daycare where elderly men get together. Even if they don't have a mental health problem, they then develop supports in that, you know, daycare center as well. Helplines, I think, are really useful and important. There are some countries that actually have helplines that cater specifically for men because they know that, you know, they feel uncomfortable maybe talking to certain people and so, you know, they have others who are trained to help them to talk about their emotions and feelings as well. Mm. So, yeah, I think if we reach out and help, you know, in ways that, you know, makes it more accessible, then we can actually help these people to seek help.
0: Let's get to our next article. This is about narcolepsy, which Mm. is sort of a primary sleeping disorder with excessive daytime sleepiness. Mm. But Anxiety disorders, especially panic attacks and social phobias, often affect patients with narcolepsy. So, narcolepsy is more of a medical issue to do with the brain, right, doctor? Mm. So, how does it cause some mental health issues?
1: Well, actually, narcolepsy is also in the DSM-5. So, it's also put as a sleep disorder under right. the mm. classification of mental health problems. So we have sleep disorders and it's, you know, insomnia or dysomnia. Insomnia means, you know, you either have too much or too little and dysomnia means you have disordered sleep. Mm. So, you know, sleepwalking and grinding your teeth, all of that is dysomnias. Interesting. Right? All right. So narcolepsy is a primary sleep disorder oh. and primary sleep disorder means there's no secondary cause for it, which is really rare. The most common cause is secondary sleep disorders. And one of the most common causes is depression, anxiety, maybe even, you know, sleep apnea, which is an ENT problem. In Malaysia, necrolepsy is thought to be about one in 2000. Wow. So, you know, it's a pretty rare condition. Uh, but in narcolepsy is generally a strong, irresistible urge to fall asleep at inappropriate times, you know, mm. like when you're driving or in a meeting. Right. Patients also have chronic daytime fatigue, and it can also be associated with cataplexy, which is where you lose all muscle tone. You're just... Mm.
0: Like paralyzed for a while Yeah, sort of
1: paralyzed for a while That's right But it's known to cause Mental health issues You know, because Once you have narcolepsy It impacts on your Day-to-day life And so it can actually Trigger depression And anxiety Especially in individuals Who are already prone To develop it So this study actually Suggests that maybe Anxiety disorders Are even more common Than depression And among them Especially social Anxiety disorder So it's
0: not really A medical problem per se It, It goes goes both ways. It's a medical problem and also a psychological problem. Psychological
1: problem, absolutely. Yeah.
0: But where treatment is concerned, mm-hmm. what do you treat first? The medical problem or the mental health symptoms of narcolepsy?
1: So we have this saying when there's dual diagnosis or comorbidity, treat both. So we need to treat both at the same time. There are treatments that can actually treat both together the mental health symptoms and the narcolepsy because even for narcolepsy antidepressants can be used. So the selective serotonin noradrenaline reuptake inhibitors or SNRIs or the tricyclic antidepressants actually have been shown to be useful for narcolepsy and they help with the mental health symptoms. But lifestyle changes are essential and that includes diet, exercise, stress management and they all help to maintain a healthy sleep wake cycle. Also keep anxiety and depression at bay.
0: On to our next article. Uh, this one actually says that the pandemic has heightened OCD phobia, such as the fear of germs, right? Yet mm. some of the patients, some of these OCD patients say that because of their experience with anxiety and because they've gotten treatment for it, it gives them sort of an advantage during this pandemic. But at what point, doctor, do we know that our obsessiveness has sort of crossed the line and is considered a disorder
1: well actually obsessions are repetitive irresistible insensible thoughts that may or may not trigger compulsions they eventually interfere with day-to-day functioning and uh, one of the top 10 disabling illnesses in the world Uh, The pandemic may have caused us all to have repetitive thoughts and fears and compulsions of repeated washing and cleaning, but these are not insensible. You know, that's what's been recommended by WHO, by our Ministry of Health. They are what's been advised. And so it's when it becomes out of control and we cannot stop the thoughts or actions and it's interfering with our day-to-day life, that's when it becomes an illness. But to make a diagnosis of OCD or obsessive-compulsive disorder, you need a minimum of six months of symptoms. So people may go through symptoms off and on. I mean, you know, you have a little illness issue, some contagion in the family, or then you get into these OCD symptoms for a while, but then you overcome it. Similarly, what's going on with the pandemic? I think all of us are a little bit more OCD. Yeah. But, you know, with time, we'll get over it, you know.
0: Well, one patient actually said this, the pandemic in general Mm. was a new experience for everybody. But for me, feeling anxiety and feeling uncomfortable wasn't new. So how can the treatment for the people with OCD sort of help the rest of us overcome Mm. these feelings of anxiety caused by this pandemic?
1: You know, some of my patients actually said the same thing. You know, maybe now everyone realizes what we go through. And, you know, it's not so stigmatizing and prejudiced and all of that.
0: Which is great, right? Yeah, Mm.
1: yeah, I agree. I mean, treatment for OCD actually includes learning to live with anxiety. No one enjoys anxiety, but like it or not during a pandemic, we all have to experience some amount of anxiety. Yeah, And learning to manage it and not looking at it as a threat, I think is really important. Some of the other things that we teach, teach people with OCD is to learn to deal with the unknown and this is especially real in the pandemic as well. We can follow all the guidelines and SOPs but we might still get sick or you know so stop trying to be in control. I think that's what we often tell our OCD patients as well. Turn your focus to what you can do and let go of the rest. And finally, I think it's really important to be self-compassionate. In difficult times, we can have strong emotions and we can choose how to respond to them. But if we decide that we want to take care of ourselves, treat ourselves uh, with kindness and respect, we end up, you know, being on top of it. So basically, all the ones with OCD telling everyone else, welcome to the club. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very exclusive club.
0: Well, this is an exciting breakthrough, I guess, in the psychological world. Uh, Mm. A video game named Endeavor RX is used now to treat children aged 8 to 12 with ADHD. Mm. And it is also marketed and prescribed as the first game-based digital therapeutic device to improve ADHD in children. How does video game help with mental health issues, especially like ADHD?
1: Mm actually there are many online tools that are used in mental health nowadays I mean we have numerous mental health apps and AI modulated therapy sites this however may be the first video game that's been approved by the FDA as a treatment for ADHD it's prescribed by the doctor so you can't just go and buy it from the shop or something and the child needs to complete five missions in a allotted time <laughs> it's shown to improve attention span because it challenges the child to focus on multiple tasks at the same time but it has to be used together with other therapies like medication educational programs family therapy CBT so you know it's not a standalone it Mm. cannot just work on its own Um, in a video game you typically have to immediately respond or else you lose yeah and uh, this attracts especially that age group 8 to 12 they want to be competitive so video games seem to hold the attention of kids with ADHD when they can't concentrate on the rest of their lives but some researchers have shown that you know constant stimulation and instant rewards may make it harder for the kid to focus on normal less stimulating situations So, whether this is going to translate into, you know, the rest of their life being, you know, focused and, you know, given the appropriate attention, I think that's yet to be seen.
0: I'm thinking, wouldn't this cause another type of mental issue like addiction? Will these children later on get addicted to video games?
1: Yeah. So, well, because it's prescribed and it's fixed at 25 minutes per day, no longer, uh, no more, this may actually prevent addiction. Okay. Uh, I mean, video games can trigger release of dopamine in the reward pathway like we discussed earlier. And yes, it can be addictive, but if it's controlled use, just like that one cup of coffee we have a day, that risk of addiction is much less. You know, there's a study done among 3,000 children and adolescents, and this was done in Singapore, that suggests that overuse of video games actually caused more attention problems and impulsivity. So, you know, I think maybe the controlled use... Is beneficial, but there's always a, you know, a, a thin line between what's appropriate and what's not. Yeah, because I'm wondering about this. Let's just say it doesn't work and this yeah. kid still has ADHD then won't you cause another dependency issue where this is all he knows how to deal with his ADHD issues well i mean actually the medication that's used for ADHD also cause dependence right you know you need to weigh the risk and the benefits so typically when we use you know holistic treatment that means different approaches to treatment we always review and assess and make sure that it's not going beyond what actually is the recommended levels Right. So, you know, even for medications, we have doses that we stick to. So, similarly with this video game, there's going to be, you know, how much of time that they can spend, how often they use it. And all of that will be incorporated into the program. Mm. So, they can't actually use it as they like. Right, okay. Yeah. So, it's not like some kid's playing a, a video game and mom says, enough video games, <laughs> but the doctor told me to play. <laughs> it's not like that, right? Well, the doctor stopped it, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>